Luke chapter 1, 39 through 58. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy, and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him. From generation to generation, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in their thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and has exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her, with Elizabeth, about three months and returned to her home. And now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. I will never forget a few years ago reading a poignant um, interview in that great theological journal, Rolling Stone. And it was an interview with a guy that you have heard of, a guy named John Lennon. And John Lennon um, was nearing the end of his life, but he didn't know that. And they were asking him to reflect upon his life, his life of wealth and power and fame and giftedness and influence. And you could summarize the interview. The interview goes on for pages and pages. And you could summarize it with one word. Bitterness. Uh, Here's a man who has everything, supposedly. Everything the world has to offer. And he said, "I, I can't even think about tomorrow. I can't even think about the future. And I have to take medication just to get through today. And then I'll never forget, he said, the dream is over. The dream is over. 
Some of you may know the name Maurice Zindak. He was a, a children's book illustrator and writer. Recently, I was listening to an interview with him. He, he has il- either illustrated or written hundreds of books for children. Where the Wild Things Are is one of his books. Loves people. Loves his friends and family. Loves children. But at the time, he died recently. At the time, he had cancer. He's Jewish. And they were asking him, reflect on your life. Loves his family, loves a big, soft heart, Jewish, and a committed, convinced, (laughs) convicted atheist. And if you can find it, look it up if you're interested in such things. It's one of the most heartbreaking things you'll ever read. He says, I know there's no afterlife, but I know that somehow, some way, I'm going to see my brother again. And my atheism is being shaken by this experience. Because I weep for the people that I love. Because I'm going to miss them so much. I could summarize that interview with one word. Sadness. Now, we're not famous writers. We're not very gifted. We're just folk here in Mississippi. But we get it. We get the temptation to bitterness. We get the temptation to sadness. We get the temptations to worry and anxiety and frustration. And yet we constantly are hearing about and talking about and should be characterized by a deep sense of life-changing, eternal, everlasting, can-never-lose-it joy. I won't ask you to raise your hand this morning if you Have a sense of that this morning. I hope you do. In the time that we have preparing for this table this morning, I want us to take a a few minutes and look at this joy. What this joy is. First of all, where it comes from. What's the source of real joy? Who doesn't want joy? Where does it come from? Where does joy come from? Secondly, what does joy look like? Where does it come from? What does it look like? You know, joy is one of those wonderful kind of Bible words we talk about a lot, like love and grace and mercy and all that. Sometimes it's best to see it in a narrative or a story. It's best to see, rather than kind of a definition, let's see what it looks like. Let's see where it comes from. Let's see what it looks like. This is the joy that we hear about in the next chapter. The good news of great joy for all people. It's also what I would call 1 Peter 1.8 joy. 
1 Peter 1.8, Joy, listen to this. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, you, you believe in him and rejoice with a joy that is, that is inexpressible and full of glory. 1 Peter 1.8, Joy, what is that? Where does it come from? We saw last week the angel Gabriel coming to Mary. And we're going to bring Elizabeth now into the, back into the, the story this morning. And we're going to see this joy. We're going to, we're going to give it a vivid, multicolor, four-dimensional, if you will, picture of joy as we look at what happens in this story, in this narrative between these two women and their two babies. They're going to show us where joy comes from and what it looks like. We saw last week the angel Gabriel comes to Mary and says, The king is coming. The long-awaited Messiah, the long-awaited anointed one, his name is going to be Jesus. You're going to have a virgin conception and you're going to give birth to the Messiah. The King is coming. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. And in the middle of hearing all of these overwhelming things, and right after the angel declares all these things to Mary, he then says, And Elizabeth, and Elizabeth, your relative, is also going to have a child. Elizabeth, your relative, is also going to have a child. And Mary says, be it unto me according to your word, I'm going to see Elizabeth. Yes, I'll obey. You know, she's trembling, she's fearful. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm pretty convinced, reading this passage, Mary, okay, I will obey, I will do what you say, but i got to go see Elizabeth. And she goes in haste to see her relative, Elizabeth. Now, we're not exactly sure the exact spot. We're not exactly sure how far, somewhere between 50 and 100 miles. We don't know who went with her, but likely somebody did, and likely it was a dangerous journey, but she goes in haste. And that's the point. And Mary enters Elizabeth's home. And Elizabeth is full of the Holy Spirit. The baby, who will be John the Baptist, leaps in her womb when he hears Mary's voice. And Elizabeth says, you are blessed. And she says something really profound. Hang with me here now. She says something really profound and and really interesting. And why is it granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me, verse 43, and then verse 45, and blessed is she who believed that there would be fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Now, wait a minute. She's received a message from the Lord and she's giving birth to the Lord? What's that all about? She's full of the Holy Spirit, and she's saying, Mary, you're obedient to the Lord, and you're going to give birth to the Lord. This is profound, profound, mysterious, Trinitarian language. 
here. She's saying that the very source of our joy is a God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Joy is, is Trinitarian. It's relational. It comes from Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And you see Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all through this first chapter working and present. The source of this joy is God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's where joy starts. But, and don't miss this, she runs, she goes in haste, she wants to be with Elizabeth, and this very, very clearly shows us that we are made for each other. We're made for fellowship. What's the first time in the Bible that God says something's not good? Yeah, some of you are saying, it's not good for man to be alone. But man is not alone. God is there. God makes Adam in his image and says, it's not good for you to be alone. But God's there. What's going on? He makes a helper, a companion, someone to come alongside and and complete him. It's the first, it's not only the first marriage, it's the picture, it's the first community. We are called to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and our neighbor as ourself. We are made for community. We're made uh, for one another. We're made to find joy in God and in one another. We're not made to say, look, I've got Jesus. I don't need these people. I've got Jesus. I don't need the church. I've got Jesus. I don't need fellowship. We're made for it. And we, we see this overwhelming revelation that comes to Mary. But then after she's with Elizabeth, it all comes together, and then she sins. Sometimes we skip right over this greeting of these two women and go right to the Magnificat. The Magnificat flows out of this revelation from God through Gabriel and fellowship with Elizabeth. When she gets with Elizabeth, Elizabeth affirms her and comforts her and encourages her. And then she says, I rejoice. I'm full of joy. I've heard from God. I've heard from his people. I've been affirmed. I've been comforted. And there's so much here. Look, Mary could have said, you know what? Hey, gang. Uh, An angel appeared to me, an angel of the Lord, and I'm going to have the Messiah. I'm going to give birth to Jesus. And then she could have gone off all by herself. No, she runs for fellowship and affirmation and comfort. I'm glad that you have, I hope you do, that you have some kind of sense of what the Lord wants you to do in your life. Many of you do. Most of you do. Hope all of you do. Have some sense of what the Lord wants you to do. 
Well, don't forget this. Has that, has that been affirmed and confirmed and driven home by the church, by the body of Christ, by those who know you best and those who know the Lord? We are made for fellowship. We, we see that in verse, verses 57 and 58. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth and she bore a son and her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great, great mercy to her and they rejoiced with her. I've mentioned this before and I'll mention it again and you'll probably hear me say it again. <laughs> but there's a little book that I would highly recommend to you. It's kind of the standard on fellowship and discipleship. It's called Life Together. It's a book by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. It's just a little thin book. Makes a great Bible study. Listen to what he says. If you don't know Dietrich Bonhoeffer, uh, he, li- he was a German. He lived in, in Germany, as most many Germans do. <laughs> Some move. Uh, but he actively resisted Hitler. Uh, during World War II, he was a pastor, and he was caught and put to death for doing that. Brilliant man. And he wrote this, this little book, and, and he spent much of his life thinking about our need for one another in Christ. And he says this in Life Together, the physical presence of other Christians is an incomparable joy and strength to every believer. I love that. The physical presence of other Christians is a source of incomparable joy and strength to the believer. The prisoner, the person who is sick, the Christian in exile, sees in the companionship of a fellow Christian a physical sign of the gracious presence of God. A physical sign of the gracious presence of God. How inexhaustible are the riches that open up for those who are privileged enough to live in daily fellowship with other believers. And it goes on. And we see that. We see that very, here, very clearly here. Fellowship is like, think of it this way, fellowship is like the blood circulation that runs through the body of Christ. No blood circulation, no body, no life. It's the blood circulation. John starts out his little letter in 1 John by saying, Fellowship with God and with one another makes our joy complete. Read it, first chapter, 1 John. Fellowship with God and one another makes our joy complete. We have never lived in a time with so much social media and so much loneliness. So many ways to connect and network, and yet so many people that don't have life-giving relationships with other Christians. That's where it comes from. That's how we get it from the Trinity, and from one another. Now, I'm going to um, move through this, this next section fairly quickly, but I, I want to get, get right to the heart of it. What, what does joy look like? How, what does it look like embodied? What, is it, what does it look like expressed? And again, a shorter sermon today, but I want, want you to at least know these things, and you can see them very clearly in the lives of these women. Here it is. 
You have to have these things to have real joy, in other words. These are essentials for real joy. They're essentials for real joy. Humility, obedience, praise, and wonder. Humility, obedience, praise, and wonder. Look at these two women as they interact with each other, how humble they are. When Mary comes to Elizabeth, Elizabeth doesn't say, my husband's a priest. I'm an older woman. I'm related to you. I've been barren for a long time. I've been praying for a baby forever. Why? You're a teenager. You're not even married. You're going to get married to a carpenter. Bless you, Mary. Bless you, Mary. And we see in... in in Mary's humility, yes. Um, by the way, let me say this. Protestants, probably Protestants here this morning. Um, we do need to remember, it, it, it says right here, Gen- Mary, Mary says in verse uh, 48, all generations will call me blessed. It's okay to call Mary blessed. But some of you have a Roman Catholic background. Notice what she also says. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Mary is sinful, and she knows it, and she knows she needs a Savior. She knows she's going to be blessed generation after generation, but she knows she needs a Savior. She's not immaculately conceived. She knows she needs a Savior. And this humility comes through. He has looked on the humble estate of his servant. She's saying here that that this word humble means the lowest of the low. The Greek means the lowest of the low, the very bottom. He has lifted me up. Humility. Humility. Obedience. What will rob your joy faster than anything else? If you know the right thing to do and refuse to do it. If it's right there in front of you, and I'm not doing that. And you deliberately turn the other way. James 4.17, it is a sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. Look at Mary and Elizabeth's lives and how they are characterized by obedience. How faithful Mary is year after year after year with taking Jesus for circumcision, going to the temple, going to Passover. She's there at the cross. When do we last see Mary in the Bible? Acts 1.14, all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the woman and Mary, the mother of Jesus. There she is. She's probably praying, be it done unto me according to your word. Humility. Obedience. I, I love the, the letter that a, a new Christian wrote to, to C.S. Lewis after his first communion. It's a little boy, writes it in the, in the letters to children, writes, writes to, to, to C.S. Lewis, you know, I, I just, I, I, I've been confirmed and I went to my first communion, but I, I didn't really feel it like I thought I should. What am I supposed to feel? 
in a very sensitive way, he writes back and says, look, feelings will come and go, and God will give those to you if he desires, but he loves you, and you can trust him, and he's working in you whether you feel it or not. What a tremendous comfort. He knows our hearts better than we know our own hearts. Humility, obedience. Praise. There's so much praise here. I'm going to say this. You can't see it real well in this passage, but in this passage we have the first two Christmas carols. In the, in the original Greek, you can actually see that what Elizabeth does and the way she blesses Mary when they first come together is written in verse form. It's a poem. It's a song. And they're both praising God here in, in verse. And you know, um, there's a lot of... I, I love Christmas... I love, I love I like cheesy the cheesy stuff about Christmas and the bad movies and I, I like all of that. But sometimes our Christmas carols are more sentimental than they are true. Um, I was I've been doing a little reading on Christmas carols every day. I saw three ships come sailing in. Have you ever looked at those words? Jesus and a woman, we think maybe Mary, are on three ships and they're sailing to Bethlehem. There's no water anywhere near Bethlehem. And Jesus never went to Bethlehem as an adult. And on and on. These carols are true and they're full of praise. Um, you'll never have joy until you learn how to bow. You'll never have joy until you learn how to bow. And, and finally, wonder. We just had the, the, the great experience of going a long way. Boy, was it a long way on, on, an, on an airplane. Um, of course, we went through Atlanta first, and then we went to Seattle, and then we went to Hawaii. You know, the, we're going to have to fly through Atlanta on the way to heaven. But we went through Atlanta, which is not heaven, um, and went to see a grand, my grandson that I'd never seen, my fourth grandson in Hawaii. My son, as many of you know, serves in the Army, and we went to Hawaii to see our fourth grandson. And, you know... I, I remember the day we brought our daughter home from the hospital, years and years and years ago. Our first daughter, and our first child, a daughter, brought her home, and we had this big queen bed, and we just put her in the middle of the bed, and we just looked at her. What do we do now? Words fail. This is, I don't use this word very often, awesome. Amazing. You know what's really amazing also? Watching your son <laughs> watching your son have a son. You know what's really amazing? Watching God have a son. Who some in profound, mysterious way is God. Fully God and fully man. Come here to live and die for us, to bring lost sheep 
and prodigal sons and daughters home. And Mary, in in this Magnificat here, (laughs) I don't understand it all. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. I don't understand it all, but it's shaken me to the depths. And it has changed me from the depths inside out. If Mary and Elizabeth were here today, they would have no trouble singing with us. He rules the world. We already sang it. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and the wonders of his love. The wonders of his love. The wonders, wonders of his love. One commentator, and I'll close with this, puts it this way. How foolish it is to wish to measure his immeasurableness with our measure. How foolish it is to measure his immeasurableness with our measure. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this table. We pray that we would remember and you would remind us that you are the source, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit of joy. And we find it in you. We find it in one another. We pray that we would be people that are characterized by humility and obedience and praise and we would never lose the wonder we recognize now we're coming to a table of wonder a table of joy we pray all of these things in the name of him who came such a great distance for us the lord jesus